This podcast started with a conversation. Paul Wesley and myself were talking about how many fascinating people there are in Totnes, so we decided to invite some of those people to tell their stories. Each guest nominates a friend to interview. That friend then interviews one of their friends and so on. The interviewee becomes the interviewer, making links in our Totnes chain. This is the fourth chain and we've chosen the theme of environmentalism. This first episode of The Fourth Chain features Mark O'Connell. Mark is Wellbeing Director and Registered Manager of the Apricot Centre Wellbeing and Adoption Support Service at Huxham's Cross Farm. Mark trained in process-oriented psychology with Dr Arnold Mindell and colleagues in the early 90s in Zurich and later helped to set up and run RSPOP UK, the School for Process Work in the UK. Mark's focus has always been on working with children and families with careers working in residential children's homes and managing two NHS services in East Anglia, supporting adopted and looked-after children. In time, Mark and his wife, Marina, found that their work around regenerative farming and well-being had many things in common, and the Apricot Centre came into being on their four-acre small holding in Essex. In 2016, they moved back to Devon, where they first met, to develop the Apricot Centre at Huxham's Farm in Dartington. The Wellbeing Service is now delivered in both East Anglia and Devon. Mark and his team are enthusiastic about broadening the approach of the service, working with schools and communities around wellbeing and resilience. Currently involved in a project called Communities of the Soil, collaborating and focusing on the experience of asylum seekers and refugees in Plymouth and their relationship to soil, food growing and nature. The Apricot Centre also completing a period of research with the South West Health Equity Innovation Challenge, exploring the potential benefits of engaging the senses in nature and around food towards reducing anxiety. Mark Stong is Still Golden by Steve Hillage. was Still Golden by Steve Hillage and I'm here with Mark O'Connell. It's really good to welcome you to the to the podcast chain, Mark. Good to be here with both of you. I imagine it is. <laughs> it is, in our pyjamas no less. In our pyjamas. You've got nice padded pyjamas I see. Thank you. <laughs> but, so I want to start, why you've chosen Steve Hillage's Still Golden as your song? Okay, yeah, well, I, I forgot it has the same repetitive riff right at the beginning. It does actually change key and do some other things later on. Um, Steve, uh, Steve Village, when I was uh, 17, 18, I was uh, very strongly into music and guitar playing and writing music. And what our guitar player in our band 
uh, called Peter Carr was really into Steve Hillage and he introduced me to Steve Hillage and I was just fascinated by the guitar playing and it's it's actually the altered state that it puts you in when ah, you listen to it. Right, right. <laughs> to be clear, the, 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 the guitarist was Peter Carr. What was the band no, called? Uh, well, we were called various things. We were called Paradiddle Shapes. We had various names. You were years. mercurial. You just changed. We did. That's the mood took yeah. you. Wonderful. I, you are a musician. You're still a musician. Kind of, yes. Okay. I don't, yeah. Well, just, I'm I just like going to establish music. that because it may not... I hope it comes up. I would like... I, I am going to ask you to go to take us on a journey from the time of that song to the present. But before that, I would like just to cover... Where were you born? Oh, good question. Morpeth, Northumberland. I was, bo I was born in Northumberland in a hospital in Morpeth. And which is north of Newcastle. And you stayed in Northumberland for years and years and years? No, not at all. Not no, at I, all. I think we left when I was one. We went to America, lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then we moved to Belgium, and I lived in Brussels, and then we moved back to America again. And I didn't come back to the UK until I was 14. Re really well-travelled as a youth. So I sort of feel quite American, in a way. Right. And, you, and a and bit cosmopolitan. That's why I'm in my pyjamas. <laughs> that's why you're so broad-minded in your apparel and other aspects of your life. But that, that's really... Because you, you wouldn't know uh, from your accent. Uh, you would have then. Yeah, I'm quite good at sort of shifting accents, yeah. But, right. I, you know, I do say sidewalk, as you well know. I know now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, a lot of a little American terms right. slip in, and little... one of the things I think I'm particularly American about is dropping in on people un, unannounced. That's a, that's a lovely habit. I just turn up that to people's feels, houses. That feels, that feels like an, a quaint old English habit or British habit. Oh, I think it's not very British. It might well. It, it seems people are all rather surprised when you just turn up in your pyjamas, you know. Yeah. I see. No, I see your point. I, I concede that point. Um, so, thank you. It's really good to get that background up to, up to up to around the time. So how old were you around the time of listening to Steve Hillage and playing with Peter Carr, the guitarist? That would be 17 or 18. Okay. Uh, and yeah. I, and I, I, is this when you became interested in nature? Oh, mm, uh, I, I think... Um, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I think I think my, I spent a lot of time in nature with my parents and my family, so I think that's probably how that happened. I had a dream when I was very young about walking through these woodlands with my father and a dog, and the dog was taller than me, an Alsatian. Oh, it's quite a strong yeah. memory of that dream. Yeah. You know, like That was like, yes, being in nature. and that, that's. Uh, but I think it was there in my childhood. We, where we travelled, we always went on interesting tours and walks, right. woodlands and, yeah. So you're connected from quite an early age. But <clears throat> I know that you didn't immediately go into, as a, as a young man, go into the work that you're doing now. You didn't train. No, as... that's right. Yeah, so I went to university at 18 or 19 uh, at Sussex University to study social psychology. And I definitely was interested in psychology strongly then. But I right. found it very academic, very rational. And I think I'd been sort of channeled a little bit. I, I was expected to to do the academic thing. Was this and, a family pressure or a school pressure? Yeah, I would say it's like a sort of an expectation mm -hmm. in the broader family. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to, yeah, so I, I was sort of, that seemed to be something that I was going to be able to do. But I, I quickly realised that it wasn't quite right for me. It just felt like all in the head. It didn't feel very kind of interpersonal. It didn't feel very related at the time. And I rebelled quite strongly. I left after one year. Right. And then I became, I started to study arboriculture in Brighton. Arboriculture, which to some of us, we think of as tree surgery. 
Yes, or is, that, is that I think a reductionist a, thing? I think I think uh, I think I'm not quite sure about the distinctions, but I think a tree surgeon will probably have a, a greater level of sorry to the arboriculturists. Yeah. I think a tree surgeon would probably have a slightly more more qualifications. Arboriculturists, we were just trained to work with trees, and in particular, it was Dutch elm clearance in in Brighton oh, right. at the time. There was Dutch elm disease in all the trees along the avenues in Brighton and they were being cleared and we were trained with those trees. Specifically you were trained just to take out just diseased Dutch elms? To, to, to know which trees were diseased and to, right. to, to work with those trees to clear it and stop the spread and just yes there was a lot of trees taken out of Brighton. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of elm trees. I, I'm interested so at the moment we've got you clearing Dutch elm, diseased Dutch elm trees in uh, Brighton with a sort of sub-tree surgeon qualification as right. arboriculturalist, <laughs> uh, looking up to the tree surgeons in many ways. Yes, and sorry to all the arboriculturists who I'm sure <laughs> yeah. are highly, highly skilled. I think I think the podcast the podcast show is going to get a lot of complaints. We, right. We're just going to have to deal with that. Georgina, Georgina will deal with it. She's That's got a team of lawyers. Don't you worry. <laughs> Uh, and then, but uh, you came to South. You came to Totnes. How? Did, uh, and, and uh, yeah, yeah. So I started. A, eventually, started a small arboriculture business uh, called Upper Tree, which I believe means <laughs> kind of slightly lost and confused, which is totally apt. Excellent. And um, oh, this is where it gets kind of revealing. Uh, I, I moved. I, I came to Totnes. And I, I fell in love with the area. I actually arrived at Schumacher College at the Poston. The first place oh, I came wow. to wow. was to see a friend of mine who was living there as a, a dance student at Dartington. And um, very quickly, I became very fond of the area. I like, really wanted to live here straight away. So mm. I kind of moved down, got a Land Rover, of course and did. started a business with, called Upper Tree. And I, I uh, lived for a brief time, I think I can say this, in Fox, in, uh, in High Cross House at Dartington, totally illegally. Whoa, you, you can't say that. <gasps> okay, you can say okay. that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, um, so yes, there was, uh, I, I, was running my, I was running my business from Dartington and uh, I did a, a few years of that uh, tree, arboriculturist, I almost said tree surgery. You know? yeah, oh. uh, and... Um, but it, it was a very physically demanding work and it really was something I'd done as a bit of a rebellion against my academic upbringing. So right. I moved into other things. And when I uh, met, I remember meeting you and uh, you were delivering organic vegetables at the Didn't time. Oh, indeed. Yeah. From, from Moorfoot. Yes. And you used to come to the community where I lived in and you'd turn up very cheery and it would, people would say, it's the organic man! <laughs> Okay, and, and you think, could have played into that, and I thought this this man. He, I he, thought he's got you his were also skills. working at Morfit. I, I later joined part time. Yes, very part time. Morfit was a fantastic organic farm run by Lynn Phelps uh, and Gordon, uh, and it was very interesting actually because um, the quality of the food and and what they were doing at that time was fantastic. And um, I know that Marina, my wife, and Lynn went over to Holland and kind of researched the box schemes and uh, came back with these ideas for box schemes, which has really taken off in United Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, so that was, and, and yes, I was delivering, I was uh, traveling around the whole of South Hams in a van and uh, I did that job for a while. So that was, you'd, you'd uh, found the arboriculture upper tree work a bit much by then. Yeah. Had you found your sort of, you know, calling as if you like to to train in 
the, the kind of psychological work that you trained in, which we'd like to hear yeah, about. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, so yes, I, all that time from Brighton up to Totnes, I was kind of on a bit of a search for something, I think, in a sense, a psychology which had a spiritual aspect to it, which was more direct and more visceral, more bodily oriented and more relational. And yeah. so I came eventually to process-oriented psychology, which is founded by Dr. Arnold Mindell. And that, that, came, that was actually, there were some courses here in, in Devon at the time, and I was quite surprised to find them. They, they just came out of the blue. I just researched a little bit and found it was happening in the United Kingdom. And, um, yeah, went along, and um, it, was, it felt vocational. It felt sort of this is what I want to do. And uh, I began to study quite quickly and helped eventually to set up a school in the United Kingdom, which was yeah. called the Research Society for Process-Oriented Psychology. So I trained and then set up school. With... So you trained and qualified and then yeah. went, went on to yeah, set up the school. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. And tell us, how old are you by now? Oh, I'm actually 60 this month. Excellent. So, but and, and so you're 60 this month. We've taken us up to a time when you've just qualified in process work, which is which underpins the work that you do now with uh, f uh, looked after children and families. That's right. That yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting. I mean, one of the things I'm curious about is I when I started studying process work, I was working in children's homes in in Totnes and in South Hams. And I'm never quite sure why, but that became quite a, a... That was how I earned my living to pay for my training. And then right. I just had worked with lots of looked-after children, lots of children in care, and that continued, and I just kept, kept going with that. I've, I've always worked with children and families, and uh, my training was adult, adult therapeutic work, but I worked with, um, I worked with uh, children and families, and later kind of grandparented, as they call it, as a child psychotherapist. So, um, so that's yeah. Nineteen ninety six is when I finished my training. Ah, oh, so I'm just going to do my sums in my head, which which means you're sort of in your early thirties yes. when you finish your training, and you've been through a process where we've you've done your uh, arboriculture, but you've 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 set up a business and moved to Tottenham, which you sort of fell in love with. But you've also you've you've been sort of questing, I suppose, looking for something of meaning for you that isn't so isn't just academic or rational but is as you put it embodied or yeah. connected to, yeah uh, i mean process work essentially works with dreams and dreaming as as kind of another level of reality which is happening all the time we have our everyday reality of matt mark georgina pajamas no pajamas is another <laughs> level of reality it's more the dreaming level <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you know, uh, you know, our dreams and kind of uh, that yeah. process work approaches these kind of different levels of of experience and works with those different levels, including like an essence kind of level where the essence of things and are a kind of more connected essence level, which I think also links in quite well with nature. Yeah, and if you so. Also, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to follow, bring the threads together as I'm kind of trying. To, uh, I'm coaxing you along the journey mm. with small breadcrumbs. Yes. So, uh, are you married to Marina yet? In our early thirties, <laughs> early thirties picture. Yes, I've married. We, we, me and Marina got married when I started my training in about 1991, and I'm still married. We're we're still married <laughs> uh, after yes, quite a lot, thirty something years. Thirty-two years. 
Right. Because over time, Next week. we now know that there's a sense in which your, <laughs> your work kind of converged or at least found yeah. a kind of way of being parallel and interwoven. That's that, right. I mean, I think... Maria and I both realised that we were really interested in very much the same thing. Like, um, you know, we were both connected to Schumacher when we first came here. We were looking at the, the kind of ecology and the interconnection of people and the land, uh, ecology of people and the land. That's a course we started in, ah, in East yeah. Anglia eventually at an yeah. agricultural college. And that was inspired by Schumacher College and our, our connections there. But we found there was a lot of really interesting connections between our two fields. She's a, a, a farmer, a, a permaculturalist, an organic farmer, biodynamic farmer, and studied ecology as well at university. So, and my process-oriented psychology, we just found there was a lot of overlap. And then over time, Marina has been de developing these incredible farms that we've lived on or lived nearby. And yeah. they... The, the kind of whole idea, the, 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 the meaning of working with the well-being side, with, with children and adults working in nature, has become more and more interwoven and significant in, in everything that we do. So now we, we actually run the farm in Huxham's Cross um, and children and families. We work a lot with adopted children on, on site yeah, and that connection yeah. with kind of the connection of nature bodies playfulness um embodied sort of sensory work um the therapy has become a much broader concept to me over the years and it's not something that you do sitting just chatting about problems or analyzing what's going on in your life but it's more for me much more of a connection with who you are what's your what's your nature so i'm interested very much oh, in yeah. child, the nature of each individual and group um, what is the underlying nature and how to how children express themselves and where we get kind of limited in in being who we are and are expressing ourselves so I think there's there's a, a lot of ways in which we limit through education and right. and life right. and society societal pressures um, yeah. Um, yeah yeah oh, oh, oh this is something I'd like to sort of double click on or, or double back to but and and ask you to say perhaps more about or just reflect on more if you feel like it in a bit i want to take you because you're at we've got you in totness connecting to process work really finding a connection with this way of working with with people particularly children who you'd already started working with in a less qualified way you know just as, as someone who gets mm. who's pulled in to be a helper yeah. um and you and you're connected you've married marina who's working on the land um but then you moved away from totness oh indeed yeah, yes that's right well we were we were trying to adopt um and we were going through adoption process which was quite a bit harrowing at the time and uh, then we had a massive flood in our house and um we sort of began to reflect on what's all this about and we should have felt we need to kind of like flow with this. We need to <laughs> kind of flow with the water. And we sort of, we decided to um, move to East Anglia where both of our families were living in, in some ways. Yeah. And uh, we just felt it would be good to move nearer to our families at the time, away from Totnes and set, uh, well, the idea was to find some land and to, to yes, do some horticulture and growing projects there. So that's what we did in about in the late 90s, yeah. 
and you to, to follow the kind of adoption route. But I mean, yeah. we, we we have subsequently adopted two incredible. Yeah, well, I... they were babies, but they're now young women, um, and we adopted yeah. from China from two two young girls from China, who who I know and who were. Became Essex girls, yeah. You, <laughs> Essex <laughs> girls, and yes, and becoming Devon girls. Now and, becoming yeah. Devon girls, yeah, yeah. And in, in a sort of citizens of the world, even though that was taken from us by Theresa May, but we're re- reinstating it. Uh, <laughs> I've got yeah. This this bit where I'm uh, collecting my thoughts can be edited out. It doesn't have to be. People, <laughs> listeners, can reflect on their own lives at this point. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. Mm. I'm just sorry. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm listening to being some other levels. <laughs> <laughs> can you yeah? Can you say more about the adoption processes? Because you you mm. you are both an adoptive parent and someone who works with mm. not necessarily adopted but cared for and looked after yeah. children. And you, it's an area you, what well, yeah, you know well from yeah, different I, perspectives. I know it. From lots of different perspectives. It's interesting because my work has become subsequently very much about adoption and I guess that's partly because we adopted and I was already familiar with that that kind of area a little bit working with looked after children. Um, for me it's just been like a, an incredible process of the world giving birth to children for us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that, that sort of like falling in love with children who have come by another, another route, right. another means. Yeah. And um, it's been you know sometimes painful sometimes challenging but actually incredible uh experience of becoming parents and enjoying enjoying the young people that have been growing up beside us and teaching us about life you know um yeah. it's yeah. it's there are there are extra challenges of uh, transnational adoption for for the young young people being in, in in East Anger it's a very kind of white kind of community in many many ways or at least certainly in the rural rural areas right. so there are you know kind of white um culturally ethnically white kind of community so there are there are kind of challenges I think to being ethnically Chinese in a in a, in a culturally white community um and you know th- those are important things to be aware of and as, as you parent and yeah. And the girls eventually decided to go to colleges that were more multicultural. Right. And that was a very good move on their part, I think. Right. I'm interested in how you fared because you worked within the NHS when you were in East Anglia mm-hmm. and what that experience was like for you because you, from the outside, and I, I, I knew that it, it felt like a very worldly role mm. for for someone who ha- had a... Not an otherworldly, but uh, y- that you had the yeah. same uh, approach that you have now, yes. which is the aware, you know, the awareness of essence and of connect- connection, yeah. and valuing people's nature, nature's, you know, mm. and, and that is not necessarily a comfortable fit. No, it's kind of a bridge. It's a bridge between worlds in a way, and it's. Um, I think it there was. A, it's quite a difficult time in some ways. I mean, I. I uh, I ran several teams in the NHS for working with and supporting young people who were adopted or looked after in care, and uh, over over quite some years. And um, it's you know you you're kind of faced with b- being in this incredible system that sets up a kind of mainstream health service, and it has certain 
expectations and certain rules and certain ways of doing things. But it also, one of the things it does, it, it enables things to be delivered for a very wide range of people. So, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, tight and small. It can, it's very open. Anyone can refer themselves in. Uh, and, and it was a good service for adopted children, actually. But uh, there was also a certain sense in which I had to keep my process work a little bit under the under my hat. <laughs> right, right. Um, because, you know, like dream work and working working in nature, for example, which is, was already then something that I was very interested in, was actually sometimes kind of poo-pooed by the psychiatrist. Well, this is not relevant. This is not oh, part right. of mental health. Okay. You know, and there, yeah. it was actually laughed at at the time when, when it was being proposed and put forward that right. it might be good to work in nature with young people and families. Now, I think since coronavirus, there is, there's significant shifts happening in during lockdown that there have, I, I think there are shifts and a, a profound realisation of the value of our connection with, with nature and uh, immersion in nature and how important that is for people. Right. So the, the world is, it, I, I suppose you are becoming more mainstream or the mainstream is joining up with your yeah, way of looking? Yeah, I think, I think, I just think that, yeah, I think there is sort of, there is a, a evolution, a process of, of shifting, hopefully a broadening and deepening. Uh, my sense of working in the NHS is there's lots of incredibly rich and kind of creative people in these 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 places mm. and that they don't always um, wear the kind of the full the, you know what what they're actually what their role is and their title mm. and their way of working does not always express everything that they really do and really are so there are it, it is an incredible world it would be it would be great if that was more if that could be more expressed within those systems i think if people could be more fully what they are. So I personally had struggles myself in that I, I came into a tension with the system yeah. in terms of what I would wished for and what I wanted to express and do in that system and what the what the system would actually allow me to or the way it sort of constrained or expected me to behave. So that tension eventually became too much and I, I had to leave. Okay. And it was a good thing I did because that's how the Apricot Centre and the kind of farm and well-being service right. took off so so can you can you can you speak of that the the the, the founding the making of the Egg yeah well so, so so marina had been doing lots of making these incredible farms and um it's, it's a hard world to to make a living from yeah. um and but she actually had transformed the site in essex i mean it's quite a remarkable place from a bramble patch to to what it is now. And so, I what, think tell us about the, the farm in Essex it, and how, how much land did it's you? It's four acres. It's a small, yeah. it's it's a small holding really, four acres of of land. And over twenty years, she worked on that and created an incredible orchard. It's mostly fruit growing. Yeah. There's a greenhouse, and but one of the amazing things is that the soil became incredibly rich and vital, and uh, it was, it's very noticeable. And, and so the wildlife was proliferating even just on a four acre wow, a four yeah, acre site yeah. um and it's rather a special place and it's it's still being farmed by people who took over from us in the, in a similar way and and um what was i saying so i think so what we were farming there yeah. i was coming to my end with the nhs and then we were offered the potential for 
what is now the Apricot Centre at Huxham's Cross Farm in, in Dartington. Yeah. And uh, in, in a sense, I think Marina was really invited because of her background and her skills to consider taking on that that farm by the Biodynamic Land Trust who were purchasing right. land. But you, but the two of you had already formed the Apricot Centre as an entity, that's had you not? Yes, that's kind right. Of, yeah. Yeah. So you could bring cool. the whole of it to... That's right. Yeah. Called the Apricot Centre because we, we had some apricot trees and we thought the, we liked the name because it was rather Mediterranean and had a slightly different <laughs> feel. We could yeah. call it the Apple Centre, but we didn't think that would quite have the same Doesn't have quality. The same ring, yeah. yeah so, so yeah, so so that that's right. So that that initial apricot centre, and I was I was beginning to work with clients there, working with young young people, etc. And we we began to see the potential for this symbiote symbiosis of these these areas that we were working in, coming together more formally in 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 a business structure as a whole, as an organism. Right. Let's say. Yeah. It does feel you've created you've used the word organism. You've created something that's quite. Uh, difficult to pin down, if you like. There are different aspects to yeah. it, and I, I'd like to ask you to, because it, it's, I th- for me, difficult to have a sense of the way in which they do interweave. So, if people mm. uh, refer to you to work with in a psychotherapeutic way, mm-hmm. there is something very simple. Do you? How, how does that work? And how does it? How does your connection with the land at Huxham's mm. Cross? How does that yeah. happen? Well, actually, I just want to say. First of all, that when we were having social enterprise input and looking at how we ran the business, we were really strongly advised to separate and split the two businesses. And right. it's quite interesting that the, the world of business saw them as better separate entities. Right. You have a well-being service and you have a farm. And I was not really in favour, but Marina was very strongly against that and she, she wanted them together. She wanted mm. it to be a kind of a system that kind of benefited through the inter- interface of these two different sides. And yeah. I think that's what we've actually made work eventually. And in some ways it totally makes sense when you think about it that, you know, we used to live in villages and communities in, in nature and children ran about and we kind of... There there was that interfa- interface and maybe we have separated that somewhat in society. Um, and so by holding the business together as a business model like that... Um, Everything we do is kind of linked, interlinked. Um, the food growing, the people who come and work with us, you know, are there's something about the lifestyle and their kind of the general sense of well-being of of living and working together on the land. It's quite impressive to see groups of people in the fields again. You know, it's not mm. something you see that often uh, mm. these days. And there's so the loneliness and the isolation that is common in farming you know there's lots of suicide in farming communities right um is is less so you know i think you know it's not like we've all the problems have gone but there are certainly improved social situations and conditions so on that on the farming side there's a kind of i think a level of well-being and quality of relationship that's happening on the farm farming side of things and then on the well-being side of things there's also a lot of there's a lot of interface actually some 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 of the young people who come to kind of work with us therapeutically get kind of inspired to do more and be part of kind of the world of you know agriculture and nature um that we we work with schools kids come along and they i think with the school thing we're not an educational system we don't do teaching on the land um and we're specifically not that but what's apparent is that when young people come on the land 
their stress levels drop, their right. sense of curiosity and creativity and play kind of comes to the fore. And I don't think that is something that is really understood and supported well in society. I think there, there is a general move to understand, to appreciate how important that is. But we're still driving for outcomes and right. getting, getting kids to sit on the seats and to kind of <laughs> perform as functional units of society. Uh, yeah. But, you know, there's so much to be gained from that kind of um, just engagement and relationship with the natural world and feeling your bodies and, and you know kind of moving and playing in nature right. so um, um so yeah so the, the the business works we are on a farm it's a 34 acre farm young people and families parents come and see us sometimes in little pods and outdoor spaces sometimes we yeah. work in 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 groves of trees or out on the land some of our therapists do like walk walking and talking sessions um there's lots of craft making and and creative things go on and it, it's very bespoke it's very particular to the individual or the group that come right and food cooking i should say that actually our gather and nourish sessions that are beginning to happen also in totness and and on on the land of very much involved in sort of like the connection and the, in the, the enjoyment of uh, gathering food together, cooking it together, uh, yeah. and and having a relationship to food with food and enjoyment. It sounds great. You're really get, um, getting across that sense of the growing of well-being, and the kind of not too restricted view of psychotherapy. That you, not just you sitting in a room with someone saying, "Tell us about your problems." That's right. Um, yeah. And the general expansiveness of it, and people, yeah, I like the the sense of the sense of the younger people as I don't know, just all, organic entities, <laughs> more tendrils sprouting and growing, rather mm. than units to be socialised. That's and right. And I sit think still sit still in a crawl centre and do your duty. That's right. That's right. That's right. I think it'd be a bit unfair to kind of portray psychotherapy as that because I think many psychotherapies are quite eclectic sure. and broad I'm and creative. Sure, yeah. But but uh, essentially, yes, I think the, the kind of well-being in general is a very broad thing. What, 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 is it, what is it for one person? What is it for another person? Yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's lovely. I, there, there's, a, there's, there's another string to your bow that I did mention. I just want to touch on it again because you've got you've got your process oriented background. You're just the ongoing work you've done with with children, young people over the years, whether qualified originally and post qualification. And you, I see you still as a musician, even though you <laughs> kind of uh, very self deprecating about that. <laughs> but uh, the, just the fact of being musical and encouraging people's that yeah. musicality has been part of things for you. Yeah, okay. So that, that's, that's interesting, actually, because sometimes when I come to the end, edge of, end of my tether or my limits with psychotherapy or th being a therapist, and, and for example, working in children's homes, I've kind of, I've kind of gone, okay, I'm just going to take my guitar in and play some music. With, and it's, it's quite surprising how effective that is, just getting into the, the music and being creative and enjoying music. Um, and often that's had... I mean, I've, I think some of the best projects I've ever done have been kind of creative projects, like big puppet musicals with children in children's homes and performances and playing music. And there, there, there was... Um, I, I did work with one young lad, lad who learnt to play guitar with me. I don't think I should say too much about who he is, but he actually... It, 
we began to do that as our kind of therapy together. Right. Jokingly, this is our therapy. And he actually became quite a well-known musician subsequently. And um, he's incredible guitarist. And I, I, I have, I'm nowhere you, near able to play anything like that. Oh, really? So <laughs> yeah. he, and uh, recently he, he gifted me, the most, well, I, I gave him the guitar he learned to play on because he asked for it. And um, he gave me a professional guitar in exchange, which was a very nice gift, which has got me how back lovely. into playing music. How, how lovely. So it's come full circle. So yeah. He's encouraging you to play music. Mm -hmm. A lot of people listening will wonder who the, this musician is that uh, you encouraged and who's now encouraging you. Yes. And it would be nice if we could do a competition. People could send in their, <laughs> their guesses. And, those, and anyone who guesses right, well, we could... We could uh, let them stand in some earth on Huxham's <laughs> crossfire for a while until, yes. they, until they feel happy. Until they root. Until yes. they root, yes. <laughs> and flower. Yeah. All kinds of possibilities are springing into our minds, to our very fertile minds. And their well-being would increase, as would ours, because we, we could come and water them. <laughs> how that would work. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting also that I... Um, I, I just the other thing that struck me is that sometimes, like when you are trying to run a business and you are a registered manager, I'm an Ofsted registered manager of wellbeing service and adoption support service, and that kind of role and that kind of, I mean, it's a good thing to get the quality yeah. of a service to a high standard, but it also has potential to kind of restrict you in how you, sure. you know, how you are, how you are day to day. And I found that kind of quite high pressure recently on myself. And I've taken a little bit of time out to reflect on things. And one of the things that's come bubbling back is the music, is the creativity and the, the need to get back into more music music playing and that it's interesting how one kind of represses these areas of your mm. own expression through the roles that you hold uh, and I think that in yeah. a way that's just similar to what's happening at many levels in, in, in young people and in society that we we kind of sometimes narrow ourselves down but don't kind of don't kind of relate to the whole of our organism a whole of our being yeah yeah, yeah. and it's but there's an interesting thing because in yourself you, you're, it feels to me like you're someone who wears a lot of hats mm. and it's of, it's of necessity to, to be the role, the, the, the head of the director and the person who does working with people mm -hmm. quite closely and, and then... Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, it just hat feels wearing. like you have... Hat wearing is like, a, you know, there's a lot of effort in putting on hats and taking them off no, again and sort of trying to be, to, trying to portray and be the thing that's underneath that hat. But I don't. Yeah. It, it sometimes I feel that the hat wearing is also a little bit part of a problem for me in the sense that you know really, what are we at essence? You know, I'm I'm kind of interested in the essence of young people, and we're not just hats. You know, we're not just roles. Um, I've always said that there's more more to you than just hats. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, I'm picturing Steve Hillage with an enormous woolly hat, <laughs> under which there are probably many other hats. And That's right. There's a downside, of course, which is an incredibly hot head. But if we just treat it metaphorically, coming coming back to Steve Hillage, there is a sense in which you have an enormous woolly hippie beanie <laughs> That's right. over you, which uh, I'm feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> As I picture it, although it's it made of wood like. and it's mushroom-like, it's also quite like a temple. That's right. That's right. 
<laughs> but it also comes from, you know, deep down, the mycelium layers of oh, interconnection and sort of, yes, that's right. Even the, So the hat is an expression of, of this kind of hidden layer of interconnection between all beings, really, isn't it? I'm just so, so I wouldn't call that a hat one puts on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I would say it's more of a, a hat from within. Let's say. Let's say that. Let's I, say that. I'm just so glad the magic mushroom. In fact, let's not finally finally kicked in. We did actually. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just be it? We just yes, be? Let's just let's have a moment of profound silence. <laughs> okay, my silence is hat shaped. <laughs> Uh, Matt, just seeing you in your pyjamas with that hat on is just such a beautiful sight. I feel very peaceful, Mark. <laughs> I feel attuned. Oh, Steve ah, Hillage is with Steve us. Hillage. We almost had the, the glorious Om riff. Yes. But we went with Still Golden. I'd, I haven't been watching the time at all. I've been immersed in following Mark World and down little avenues. How are we doing? And... Is there, is there something I can particularly uh, double-click on? About 40 minutes or so. Okay. I just want to... I would like to ask you, Mark, are there, are there areas of your life that you, that you might feel, yeah, we haven't really touched upon that, and that's uh, something. Or areas of your psyche. Look beneath your hat. <laughs> I like where we got to on the hat front. Um, yeah. the, the hat, hat isn't just a metaphor. <laughs> You've got some nice hats. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I mean I, if I'm if I'm honest the, the, I've come to a bit of a kind of crisis point in my in my work but I feel that I'm still very much part of the Apricot Centre and what we're trying to achieve and where where we're heading let's say what what's happening in the Apricot Centre and I I kind of just felt the need to kind of take a bit of a retreat recently right. to step out yeah. and connect to what what turned out to be this creative creative space but i also think it's something about it is related to what we're jokingly talking about actually yeah. it's it's to do with something um which is less dualistic more non-dualistic it's uh, there's sort of like in a sense and I, I don't think it's something i can really talk about but i'm sort of very curious about this just being 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 oneself right rather than all of the hats and the roles one has. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of, I, I'm really interested in the next phase because I think it's for me, in, in many ways, I've always been interested in well-being of young people mm -hmm. um, who, you know, who suffered trauma or suffered life. <laughs> but mm. um, I think really that's also just about me as well. It's, it's about, you know, the wellspring of, you know, play and laughter and creativity and joy and pain, you know, in a, in a sense... Um, I recognise where in my own life some of that was kind of shut down or truncated and uh, or sort of organised, controlled. And I'm kind of noticing that there, there's... I feel like I'd, I'm old enough now, next week, two weeks' time, to just express myself as I am and be myself. <laughs> and and many, I think in many ways I wouldn't wish for anything else for anyone. You know, it's like in, in many ways that's... The freedom to really be yourself, strangely, as strange as it might seem, sixty years later, that is still a thing. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> I, I hate solidarity. You know? And yeah, and and I and yeah, I, I I feel that's that's where I'm heading. I'm less concerned about the role and more about that level of just being. Right, it really makes sense, and it it feels very true to the path you've taken, which is a 
I can hear, difficult to articulate, but be, it, because you've lived it, and there is a there is clearly an interconnection, in spite of the assumptions of the business world, between the farm and your work as a, as a psychotherapist, and the way in which you invite people to be in different places on the land with you, and then they can play or they can um, mm. be quiet, and they or you know be in states of feeling that are either difficult to get to or difficult just to sp spend time with, all those things, mm. and you're allowing it and enabling it, it also makes sense to me that you have to make sure you allow and enable it for yourself and that that could be lost and yeah. you're recovering that or re-establishing that. Is that... I, th I think that's a, a process that's happening. Um, the far I mean, in a way, you can sort of see it symbolically. The farm is about regenerating the soil, yeah. you know, that... The, the, the nature of the farm itself is coming into its own strength and biodiversity. You can feel it. You right, can, right. you know, the, it's in the soil. It's in it's in the the uh, habitat and the animals and things that are living there. And um, and I, I I guess on a human level, there's something a little similar. Similar. It's actually you know, yeah, regeneration. Regeneration. Talking about regeneration. Talking about... <laughs> would, you like, would you like to sing? I won't point? sing, but uh, if you come to the Consciousness Cafe, I will sing that. Okay, that's that's really that's like a promise and a threat. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, I I feel happy we've we've covered the ground, and I feel you've you've really articulated well the the range of uh, approaches and things that come together, and by doing so, all the things. All the hats and what's under the hat yes. uh, come together in a kind of difficult-to-articulate essence, although Steve Hillish probably gets closer. I thought your liberty cap kind of expression was quite poignant. Thank you. You're just picking up on the pattern of my pyjamas. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mark, thank you very much for coming in and talking to me on the podcast chain. Thank you. And thanks, of, Georgina. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Georgina Allen Enterprises. <laughs> Sound Art Radio and Ben Shedd. <laughs>